The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Fed can just print more money out of thin air, but the government's always going to be in debt to the Fed. What's going on, everybody? Back for another fun little episode here. This is a different one than the kind of stuff that I have been getting into, but it sure seems to tie in very, very nicely with the Lucius Trust and some of the stuff that we got into a little bit with them where it seems that they are trying to bring in the Antichrist. Now, as you'll see later on, there is a particular figure who we mentioned in that Lucius Trust episode that definitely um, seems to have been sort of copied throughout time in different parts of these hidden religions. Now, what I'm going to be talking about in this particular episode is mostly the idea of the five sons. It's a legend of the five sons, mostly uh, Aztec. I think that it started with the Aztecs, but it's been kind of adopted into other mythologies and whatever you want to call them, right? Um But this is another thing, the latest thing that I'm just really interested in because for some reason going through that Lucius Trust episode, I had Maitreya stuck in my head and I was thinking about him and what he might mean to like everything that the United Nations is trying to push, this one world government, the uh, famine, and you'll really start to see why he's so significant here later in the episode. It might actually be exclusively in the patreon portion here just depending on how long i stay on the five sons because i'm going to break down that uh story again aztec origins and uh these sons i I printed out a few things here um some pdfs and one is unfortunately from the smithsonian i did not realize that so i'm not going to be citing that one i am going to read it after this it's mostly how the Mayans kept time. And I know that there's some inconsistencies with how the Smithsonian says that they did so, uh, you know, in contradiction to what some other like independent researchers that dive down and spend a lot of their own time and their critical thinking skills to try and, you know, s- string things together really don't line up with the Smithsonian. And, you know, as we know, these authoritative institutions seem to do more to hide the truth rather than to, you know, share it with everybody. So not going to cite the Smithsonian in this one. So don't change it yet. Follow me through. See if you uh, can even understand what I'm getting at here. Not because it would go over your head, but if you just think that this is loony talk 
or if you think that there might be something to this. And I'll explain here in a bit. Now, the the uh, first sun, okay, the first sun before we roll into this stuff starts in August of 1240 BCE. I call it BC. The uh, intelligent uh, historical figures would call it BCE before the common era. I just call it before Christ. That's what I was always taught. So um, those are interchangeable terms, obviously. And now this current sun, the one that we're currently in now, okay, the fifth and final of the five suns legend started in 1011 AD, okay? Now this is according to the Chinese, and they claim that they saw the birth of the fifth sun. Now that's going to be significant in a future episode, right? So you're probably asking like, well, why are we talking about the Chinese in an Aztec episode? Well, like I said, you'll that'll become very clear later. I'm actually working on some research that the Chinese may have had massive influence over what we call today the Native Americans or the Mesoamericans and could actually even be the same people, which is really interesting to think about. I'm not saying it's true, but it's just something that I'm looking into. Another one of those really cool ideas where it would kind of be, you know, what's up is down as far as history goes. So let's get into this here. Uh, I'd like to take the chance to plug the Patreon for anyone that has not gotten off their ass and thrown down the $3 to uh, to support the work, support the grind. Um, you should do that with every show that you enjoy, by the way. Most of us aren't asking much. And uh, if you enjoy it, you know, $3 over there, patreon.com slash dangerous world podcast. You know what it is. And uh, if you are getting annoyed with me talking about it, you know, you should just do it then, okay? Because I'm not talking to people that already signed up, I'm talking to the people that haven't, okay? But uh, yeah, so $3 to get in at that minimum tier, you get all the episodes, all the full versions. If you want bonus content, you can go up in the tiers if you choose, but hey, that's no that's no pressure. That's on you, okay? Uh, let's roll into this, though, because this was uh, very, very interesting, and it's taken a lot of my time lately to look into, so... According to Aztec mythology, in the beginning, this creator couple, this like sort of man and wife figure by the name Tonaka Sawadl and Tonaka Tekutli. Now, uh, before we get into more of these names, they are extremely difficult to pronounce, but I got it down. I figured out how you pronounce all these names. We may refer to like Quetzalcoatl as Q later. Um, there's a few others that I just might refer to as the first letter of their name, but these are the correct, correct pronunciations. And, uh, you know, there's like 17 syllables in these names. So I had to do the old school little way of, um, sort of like phonetically so writing out how it sounds, uh, with dashes in the middle, kind of like a ghetto dictionary because I don't put the tildes or the lines over the top. I just literally wrote next to them how they're supposed to sound. So that's, uh, Tonaka Suwaddle and Tonaka Tekutli. Now, um, that's what they're referred to as two separate beings. When they're one being, it's Amatiotl. And Amatiotl is basically, I hate to say it, it's like a hermaphroditic sort of figure, kind of like Baphomet would be. The one entity with the female parts and the male parts. And yeah, it's it's an interesting thing to see that repeated, right? Eliphas Levi, who created Baphomet, as we learned, um, probably inspired a little bit by this Amatiotl character. And these two, or this one entity, depending on how you want to see it, 
gave birth to their four sons. And these are the Tezcatlipocas. Now, these Tezcatlipocas are represented by the east, north, south, and west. Okay, so you can think of it as the creators basically gave birth to what we know as like the four dimensions. Kind of like just a a very simple way of saying that uh, they created everything, right? This, This was the beginning of everything here. And after 600 years of these four Tezcatlipocas in existence, they began to create everything, right? We've got the universe, the stars, the planets, matter itself, cosmic time, um, and then what we refer to as the sun as well. But then you'll see here that this is where the five suns come into play. They believe that there were multiple suns throughout time. They being the Aztecs, and you know, I, I would venture to say more people than just Aztecs believe this to be true, but this mythology fits into the way that the Aztecs would see it, something that would relate to them, right? You're going to see jaguars here because the jaguar was held in high regard, um, acorns, pine nuts, things that are significant to these people during this time. And it's, um, it's interesting to think about how this could be reworked into different religions today, or, you know, throughout the past. But um, anyway, the legend says that they created these suns and the gods eventually created the world and all the other gods around the Aztec mythology. If we want to call it mythology, that's just what I refer to it as. Um, but in order to create a new sun and give light to the humans who were on earth, apparently in darkness, the sun gods, the four sons of the creators, had to jump into fire and create the sun, which would last through various durations here. Now, obviously, the idea of an entity jumping into a fire to create suns, like the S-U-N sun, is a metaphor here. But it does seem that the sun goes through cycles, and I think that it's an old hidden knowledge that's kind of kept secret by these goofy stories, right? The sun in the atmosphere kind of acts up and wipes life out on Earth, And it seems to be on some sort of timer. And I think that this has been known by the elite throughout time as humans here on Earth. So that brings us to the first sun and how that started. Again, around, when was the date here? 1240 BC is what they say. Now, the first god to sacrifice himself was Tezcatlipoca. That's a broad term for the gods as a whole, those four original gods. But this one that's taken the original name, Tezcatlipoca, was known as the Black Tezcatlipoca, who leaped into this fire first and started the first sun. For some reason, I think because it's uh, his, his whole negative shtick, which you'll see repeated over and over again here, he didn't burn as bright with the strength that the future suns end up burning. And they refer to this in the mythology as a half-sun, which, believe it or not, is actually accounted for in some alternative history teachings where there was accounts of a small sun that was further away and the sky was this deep purple color. There was no cycling of a blue sky to a black sky during the day and night. It was just a constant state of like a deep purple or a darker purple. And this was called the Four Tiger Sun. Now, the period was inhabited by giants who ate only acorns. <laughs> which is kind of funny. It's it's interesting that they're so specific here. And it came to an end after some time when Quetzalcoatl threw a boulder at Tezcatlipoca and destroyed the sun. Now, Tezcatlipoca was obviously pissed off 
And he who ruled over the jaguars commands them to eat all of these humans, these giants in this case, on earth. And this was to get back at Quetzalcoatl because he loved the humans. He always loved the people. And that's why Quetzalcoatl is really held to like the highest regard, it seems, from my small amount of research here on the Aztecs. Um, you see this repeating over and over again. Quetzalcoatl tries to do the right thing by the humans and other gods seem to kind of throw a wrench in that whole idea. So anyway, um, Tezcatlipoca, ruling over the jaguars and animals as a whole, really, um, commands the jaguars to eat all the giants. And this is the first extinction level event. Now, the suns always tie back to the way that things go down. Even though it's the fourth tiger sun, the, the cats ate the people, right? So you'll see that repeated here. You got the four wind, the four rain, the four water, and the final one that we're in is the four movement. So that'll become clear why each one of these has this name. And I think that that's pretty interesting, you know, calling these suns and saying that the sun is responsible for all the extinction level events. It kind of makes sense, right? It's a it's a weird way to say, yeah, the sun, or I would say it's a distraction. It's a better distraction. When you say that the sun is called the four tiger, the sun made the tigers or the jaguars in this case eat the people. So, yeah, after this first extinction level event, the first age of darkness begins. OK, there's no sun in the in the sky anymore. There's barely any people from what I saw. This was actually the one where like nearly all the people died. And um, yeah, it's just uh, an interesting little concept here for the first one. But it's also interesting that you see this first sun burning for 676 years. Again, another thing that's repeated. And this is 13 52-year cycles. The 52-year cycles being significant to the Mesoamerican calendar. Now, Tezcatlipoca, as I mentioned, was god of all animals. But the jaguars are so singled out here because they're kind of the power animal of sorts of the Aztecs. So in summary... Uh, Tezcatlipoca becomes the first sun, burns for 676 years, and then ends up commanding all of the jaguars or the big cats on Earth to go and kill all of the giants that were alive during that time, okay? And also keep in mind, the sun was half the size of normal. By logic, you would think that it's twice as far away from man and from the Earth, and the sky was dark purple. There's no mention of a moon or anything yet, okay? Now, let's move into the second iteration of the sun or the four wind sun. I'm sure you can imagine what probably happens here and why, you know, how this comes about ending. This was ruled by Quetzalcoatl, also known as the white Tezcatlipoca. And um, I kind of thought of him as sort of this yang to the first sun's yin. And here, the earth was populated by humans who only ate pinon nuts as opposed to the acorns. Again, very specific. Pinon nuts are just pine nuts. Um, but it seemed a lot like us, these people that, that are alive today. Very imperfect, but still loved by their creator despite their distancing themselves from their God. Again, where we are today, we are really turning our backs away from good as a whole and kind of leaning into evil, the way I see it at least. So... Um, I saw two different variations, but the same outcome to the second sun cycle. The first one, which seems to, I think this was the one that had a little more 
credibility. Yes, so this one had was listed in more sources that I saw, and the second was not uh, as prevalent, but still, again, the same outcome. Tezcatlipoca, again, that first cycle god, the four tiger sun, still wanted to be the sun, and he grew very jealous of Quetzalcoatl's reign as this sun. He was doing a better job. Um, he was closer. The sky wasn't so dark purple, apparently, but um, he was also jealous of Quetzalcoatl's love for the humans. This kind of reminds me of uh, like a Lucifer type figure, right? And being god of animals, Tezcatlipoca turned the humans into monkeys. So this is interesting. It's almost a backward evolution from monkeys turning into humans. The humans were forced into being monkeys because they were cursed by this darker god. Um, now these monkeys climbed to the tops of trees before hurricanes and floods cast down by Quetzalcoatl. Um, basically, uh, you know, this is where that fourth wind sun comes from. And these hurricanes and floods obliterate all life on earth, except for the monkeys that were able to kind of hold on to the trees, um, uh, which apparently were massive, right? Uh, much taller trees than we see today. So this is why, um, these, these monkeys that were originally humans were able to survive through this. They were sort of above the hurricanes, right? Now, interesting story. But the second uh, iteration of the same outcome says that toward the end of this second 676-year cycle, Tezcatlipoca turned himself into a tiger. I would say it's probably a jaguar, but this is just from the text. Turned himself into a tiger and threw Quetzalcoatl off of his throne or out of the sun, bringing the world back into an era of darkness. And then hurricanes and floods battered the earth. And a few survivors fled the tops, had to live in trees for years, and then transformed kind of organically into more monkey-like figures. Um, again, second 676-year cycle. Take your pick of which one you want to believe in. They're both cited. Um, I just see the first one as kind of being more fun, I guess. I don't know. Um, but yeah, same outcome, two different ways to get there. Also, in both circumstances, even though Tezcatlipoca was fucking with the humans, Quetzalcoatl was the one that brought the apocalypse on because he wanted to start over, right? He loved the humans, but he wanted to restart because Tezcatlipoca was basically um, damning them a little bit, right? Moving them away from Quetzalcoatl, who loved them, but I guess kind of gave them free will to do as they pleased, right? But at the end of the day, he wiped them out. And now this third son or the Four Rain Sun, as it was known, was an era dominated by water, and the ruling deity was the rain god Tlaloc. And all these people alive in this time ate seeds that grew in the water. Again, you're seeing these people have to base their lives around water more so in the past, right? So you see sort of an evolution of the way that man is having to live their life. Now, Tezcatlipoca, who, again, really seems like a bitch, he was messing around with Quetzalcoatl, supposedly maybe turned into a tiger or a jaguar and then knocked him off of his throne and has just kind of been screwing with the humans since their inception. Um, the next little move that he does is he steals Tlaloc's wife and her name is Shoki Quetzal. Um, and this made Tlaloc fall into, fall into a um, very deep state of depression and he basically just sat around instead of doing his fucking job. He's one of these lazy pieces of shit that just sat around and didn't, uh, you know, do the normal thing that a son does, I guess. And this caused a massive drought. 
and these people would just pray and pray and pray and sacrifice up the wazoo to the sun every single day asking for rain, but Tlaloc ignored all these prayers until one day he became so freaking frustrated with the constant nagging of these people, and so he makes it rain fire and ashes instead of rain, right? He just wanted to wallow in his pity and sorrow, and these people wouldn't let him, so he lights them all on fire, I guess, and burns everything around him, makes their food unedible, and the very few survivors of this time, for some reason, became turkeys, butterflies, or dogs. Again, very specific and not really a significant animal. The monkey is definitely significant. The dog is somewhat too because it can be portrayed as a uh, uh, jackal, right? And then, I mean, turkeys is interesting. And then the butterfly, obviously, uh, very symbolic, but I don't understand how it fits in with this time. But I digress. Um, There's also a version of this story where Quetzalcoatl was the one that made the fire and ash rain down from the skies because of Tlaloc's complete lack of action and just seeing his people who he loved suffer so much with no rain, no water, um, total drought. He's like, okay, let's put these people out of their misery, light them on fire for some reason, instead of something easier than that. And, um, yeah, we get there same destination, two paths. Again, it's a, a common theme where there's at least two stories for everything except for that first sun cycle which seems to be widely agreed upon what's interesting too about this third cycle and making it a little different from the first two is that it was seven cycles of 52 years rather than the 13 from the previous two right the previous cycles lasted um 676 years this third one here lasted a total of 364 years so just about half of the previous time spent Tlaloc just wasn't good at being the sun, I guess, and just completely uh, let Quetzalcoatl down. And then we move into the fourth version of the sun. And you're starting to see a reset type thing go on here, right? Now, this is something that concerns people today of the Great Reset, and we don't know exactly what it means. But maybe this is part of some deeper simulation. And I hate to use that word, but some sort of predetermined path for humanity where it goes through these ebbs and flows, right? heard people say, you know, things always want to get back to the middle. Things always want to get back to some form of neutrality, right? If you think of humans as a battery with the positive and the negative, things can get too good and then get reset back to, to neutral or things can get too bad and be reset to neutral. So we've seen this three times according to this myth here. Um, now the fourth, uh, is pretty interesting as well. Uh, the, the, Fifth was my absolute uh, favorite one to get into, but uh, we're getting there real quick. So the fourth sun, known as the four water sun, was governed by the first goddess involved here. Uh, And her name was Chachultique, and she's the sister and second wife of Tlaloc. Tlaloc's starting to seem like he's a real ladies' man because he's got two wives in the story, right? Obviously, other gods in Aztec mythology had wives, but there's no mention of any of the wives here in the creation of the five sons. So, uh, yeah, another guy stepping in here, Chachultique being the ruler of the sun um, in this four-water sun cycle. And during this time, the people ate maize, or corn, as we know it today, right? Now, uh, 
again, Tezcatlipoca sabotages her as well. He's done this three times total now. And what happens in this situation is Tezcatlipoca basically calls Chachultique a bitch, a fake bitch. He says that she was being nice only to win the people's praises. And Tlaloc's basically this big old beta cuck, so he didn't stick up for either of his wives. And the second one was his sister, too. So, uh, you know, his sister wife sounds uh, pretty upset here because she cries for 52 years, very significant period of time. Um, And a great flood marks the end of this fourth cycle, this four water cycle. Now, that was the last cataclysm that Earth saw. And I find it really interesting that it was a flood caused by a god crying or a goddess crying. And like the first and second sun cycles, the four water sun, this fourth sun, lasted 676 years. And I do find it very interesting, like I said, that these um, people that are alive during this time, during the flood, during the, the final cataclysm, the one that we are, that you know, most of us have learned about through the, uh, the Bible, right? I don't know. I know a lot of people are familiar with the story of the flood and Noah's Ark. That to me is very interesting that this lines up so well that the last flood and then we have this promise that there will never be like a resetting of humanity, right? The whole rainbow idea, which was hijacked, um, is the, is God's promise, right? The creator's promise that, that there won't be another situation like this, but it seems that they are trying to make another one happen or, um, Maybe it's all just bullshit anyway, right? Who knows? It's tough to say, and that's what's fun about this mythology stuff. You can't disprove it. You can't prove it. Um, obviously, these are metaphors, again, pertaining to the Aztecs, but just interesting stuff here. So I, I, I did want to say I find it interesting that the idea of these people turning to fish, turning themselves into fish, which every time I hear fish in a story like this, Jesus comes to mind just because he's the Messiah during the era of Pisces. He is uh, represented by the fish often, right? And these people turn themselves into fish. Turn yourself into a fish to be saved. Turn yourself to Jesus to be saved. It's an interesting connection there. I'm not saying that there's any validity to it. That's just what I see personally. Figured I'd share it. Sue me, okay? So let's move into the fifth sun here. This one's really interesting. Um, like I said, my favorite one, and again, some contradicting mythology here, just as we'd seen in two, three, and four. Um, again, one is really the only widely kind of well understood, no disagreements on it, that at least that I found. I'm sure that there are some alternative stories to it, but um, this one kind of holds up the same way. You have the gods returning once again to the birthplace of gods, as it was known, and it's called Teotihuacan, which is just northeast, if I'm not mistaken, of Mexico City today. And this is where they had gone four previous times to light a bonfire and choose a god that would, you know, sacrifice themselves for the next few centuries in order to run this human experiment that they seem to have been running uh, for generations, right? Centuries, really. Um, so they repeat the process. Uh, Weiwei Teoro starts the bonfire. He's the old fire god. And they start this thing up. They start the ceremony. None of the gods, none of the significant gods, I should say, wanted to sacrifice themselves for so long for this failed experiment, right? Humanity had failed four times previously, 
mostly thanks to that little asshole that kept just fucking around with everybody else trying to do their thing. Um, but this is, you know, arguably part of the fate or whatever. So as they're sitting around for a while trying to figure out who's going to do the job, this supposed rich and powerful god, Tecosisticato, um, and that's a weird one, right? Tecosisticato, that's just, uh, these names are insane. But he is known as the Lord of Snails or the Place of the Conch. Again, getting water referenced here, very, very much so. So it's kind of interesting after the water time um, when there's been a flood previously, then we have this other flood. Um, you have another water reference with the Lord of Snails or the place of the conch stepping up, uh, hasn't wanted to step up in the past when he was been called on, but, um, you know, other gods luckily did it in his place. Supposedly he's about to go. He's about to jump into the fire, hesitates before he jumps in to be the fifth and final son. And during that hesitation, the more humble and I guess poor Nana Watson jumps in at the same time. Now, his name references uh, full of sores, so to speak, just full of like open sores, I guess. So I think that this is why he would be seen as like a humble and poor God, as opposed to Tecosisticatl, who was very wealthy and didn't see that he should have to sacrifice anything. Now, this Nanawatsin jumping in is seen to be more heroic than this rich God who was, you know, not down to do it so much and you might see where this is going right there's two entities that jumped in where when previously one entity was jumping in to the fire right two suns are going to burn far too hot they're going to be too bright no life would be able to stand it here on earth and so nano watson becomes the sun and tecusisticato becomes the second sun but that's not possible right the gods actually see the Lord of Snails as to be doing it for his own glory. And they threw a rabbit at him and he became the moon. <laughs> and this is, it's a cool thing to think about because that's one account of the inception of the moon. And people do supposedly, historically speaking, remember a time when the moon wasn't there. But this moon rabbit idea um, is is kind of brought up here, right? And what the fuck is the moon rabbit, you may be asking? It's exactly what it sounds like. It's a rabbit image in the moon. Now, not one that's very defined, but it's about like the zodiac signs, where they very, very loosely represent what they're supposed to portray. And you just heard the Native American version of that story and the, you know, the, the way that they justify these patterns in the moon. And the Buddhist one's very similar to that. In the Buddhist story of the moon rabbit, you have an otter, a jackal, a monkey, and a rabbit, and it was tradition to practice charity during the full moon. So a hungry old man, I guess, passes by them and asks for some food. The otter finds him fish, again, fish being brought up. The monkey grabs fruit out of the trees. The jackal finds him a lizard and a pot of milk. And the rabbit, who doesn't know how to hunt himself and can only gather grass to eat, throws himself into the fire again, right? In a completely different culture, or is it? This rabbit sacrifices himself to become a celestial body. So what's wild here is that this fire that this old man built 
which the rabbit threw himself into, reveals himself as being Sakra. And Sakra is the spirit guide for the Buddhas. Very, very powerful but moral deity. And he's also known as the Lord of Devas, which becomes very significant here in just a little bit when I start talking about Maitreya more. Um, but yeah, anyway, so instead of the rabbit burning, Sakra makes the smoke that rose from the flames as the, ro- the rabbit jumped in, like the ash and the smoke that pops up in the shape of a rabbit. He casts that onto the moon, and we look up there and we see the rabbit in the moon today. If you want to Google like images of moon rabbit, um, again, it's very, very loose. It doesn't like you're not like, oh, shit, that is a rabbit. Exactly. It looks like someone painted that motherfucker up there. That's not the case. It, it It is just, you know, it's a very real thing. Google it. Google Moon Rabbit if you're interested. And I'll, I'll share a picture on uh, Patreon here too. But um, it, it's wild to think that you see this repetition in two cultures on opposite sides of the world, right? Showing that throwing yourself in the fire is considered charitable, right? With these five gods, throwing themselves in fire to make massive centuries-old sacrifices. And then you see this rabbit just trying to do a selfless act and feed somebody with his own body, by the way, um, doing something considered charitable by killing yourself. It's like this deep, ingrown symbolism that says, like, you know, just kill yourself. You know what I mean? Get, get rid of yourself because it's probably for the greater good. It's it's interesting. And we see that today. We see that, you know, there's too much too many humans here on this earth. We're overpopulated. Um, there's not enough resources and blah, blah, blah. And this topic turned out to be one that just kept on giving. The rabbit holes are endless with it. And I actually found on YouTube doing a little bit of research that back in 2020, two years ago, right when the pandemic started. There was this really, really weird and once-in-a-lifetime type phenomena that went down in, I think, Inner Mongolia over there in China, um, and it was called the Five Suns Phenomenon. Now, some people called it the Dog Sun because they were seeing three suns, but someone pointed out that it was actually five. Now, there's a video on YouTube, which I will link, but um, yeah, this, you know, it's mostly on the YouTube, you know, it's mostly people normies talking about how beautiful it looks and oh my god we're so lucky that we get to see this no one pays attention to um you know some of these more in-depth meanings and for the record i think that china probably artificially created this but i think that they're kind of making a wink to the elite that know about this five sun idea and the idea that it also brings on the end of days, right? When the fifth sun is gone, there's nothing left, right? Now, again, there's a theory that this is the last cycle. The fifth sun is the cycle before our consciousness moves on to whatever is next for us as a whole. This human experiment is officially done after this sun. Now, who am I to know? Who am I to say? But it's an interesting theory for sure. And it is kind of wild that China, who allegedly had something to do with this pandemic and i would go past saying alleged seems like all of our conspiracies are coming true um but to be safe right now even though they're not going to come after me for it but it is very interesting that this five sons goes on in china so with that being said um i went on to look into how these fives 
in religions are portrayed and in different ways. And they repeat quite often, right? Um, you think of the pentagram right away, but I couldn't really move past the references that I got into with the Buddhism and the Hinduism. I would have liked to have looked into more of the Christian stuff, um, some Islam, some Judaism, which in Judaism we see the six with that Star of David. Um, and there's some other things, obviously, the uh, Solomon's Star, which is the same thing, just a little, little different as we learned. Now, um, again, with this, this Buddhism and Hinduism thing, I'm not picking on it at all, right? I'm focused on it right now because I see the world elite really mimicking what they do in that religion. And they're making it seem as though it's the way to find enlightenment and to get to the next level. I don't know if I lend much credence to the idea that the elite are trying to survive past this fifth sun. I don't know if it's possible. And we'll get into some of these more rabbit hole type ideas here in just a bit. But um, man, it's, it's, it's so confusing to me that you see not one mention of anything negative about Buddhism or Hinduism with the UN, which most of us would say is really, really a negative thing. It's a net negative on humanity. But for some reason, these spiritual religions are looked at as a net positive, right? The the people that worship in, in the fashions of Buddhism and Hinduism are not bad people, right? As always, as I always like to say, it's the people at the higher levels. It's the same way that I feel about Freemasonry. It's the same way that I feel about Catholicism, Christianity, Judaism, Islam. Name a name an organization, Mormonism. Name an organization, and I feel that the elite are the problem with each and every one of these, right? The hierarchies within, it's that top percentile that really is the problem. So um, if you listen to my Lucius Trust episode, you heard the recording that I played of World Invocation Day and their reference to the coming one. They said, may the coming one return. And if you grew up Christian or at least know a little bit about it, like myself, I again, I never claim to know much about it. It's just something that I lean towards lately. And um, I hope to get that belief more solidified, either to prove against it or to prove in favor of it. I'd like to be a little more solid on my footing when it comes to where I stand on religion. Um, but they reference this coming one here. And the the I played the recording on Big Dumb Inquiries with Kyle and Shane, which was a fun one. I have to give a big thanks to them too for having me on. I played the clip there. And then I played the clip on my own episode, 249, I believe it was. And... Um, yeah, it, it's very, very interesting that they're calling on this entity to come back to Earth. Now, a lot of people think that this is the Antichrist or Satan himself. And while that sounds right to me personally, it seems that they're calling him by a different name. And it is a him for the record. It's not a they or a them or a she. It seems to be some sort of masculine energy. Now, he's the fifth and final Buddha who will, who will come back to this Earth. In his deva form, D-E-V-A, this is what I mentioned earlier, right? The devas, which this, uh, what's that guy's freaking name? I just mentioned him. Sakra, the guy that, uh, you know, cast the rabbit to the moon as, uh, you know, a big thank you to showing some humility and selflessness 
in honor of, uh, you know, feeding this, this man that was in disguise, the charitable events during the full moon, all that stuff. I don't know. The charitable events during the full moon has some very, very interesting, uh, ideas to me. Cause I always see that yogis and things like this could use that. And I think this is how they end up fucking half their students' wives. You know what I mean? They're like, well, son, your wife is for the teacher. And it is a full moon tonight, so let me bang her. You know, that's why I don't like any of the spiritual stuff, man. People always corrupt it. And, you know, a lot of people will say, well, you know, it's up to the person that that is, uh, you know, being preyed upon to notice that they're being preyed upon. Oftentimes, when people are looking for spirituality, they're either very wealthy and they're the ones, you know, kind of committing the crimes, <laughs> or they're completely broken and they're searching for someone that will help them right this is not someone that should be in any state of mind to have to have their head on a swivel to make sure that they're not getting fucked over by the person that they're trusting that's what i see that's so wrong with this now correct me if i'm wrong here but i see a lot i I see just as many problems with like the yogis and the eastern religions as i see in the catholic church per capita, right? There's not as many people that follow yoga from a spiritual level. There's a lot of chicks that wear nice pants and go in and and do this stuff for some sort of exercise, but um not not many people follow it at a spiritual level. Go out and do yoga during a full moon, um do yoga in sacred places and things like that. But yoga is meant to get yourself closer to the creator. Now, the creator, again, from this Eastern perspective, from the way that the West would view it traditionally, is Lucifer. So yoga is meant to get you closer to Lucifer, according to the theory, right? Just follow me on that. I I think that it's interesting. Now, you don't have to follow me. You can turn the episode off right now if you don't agree with that. Or you can listen and see if I challenge some of your beliefs here with this. Because we move into some interesting stuff with Maitreya. And also, I'll be getting into the fifth ray. So we see the five again with this very interesting kind of tangent that will go down. And the one that is kind of the master of the fifth ray, who is uh, Master Hilarion. Now, back to our boy here, Maitreya. Maitreya is like this God or Jesus-like figure, as I mentioned in the episode 249, The Lucius Trust. And it seems that the United Nations and the Lucius Trust, really hold Maitreya at this God or Jesus-like level. Again, very, very weird that for some reason this guy's chosen by the elite, the people that, that, again, a lot of our community doesn't enjoy, right? A lot of the ideology that has kind of screwed us over. And a lot of us don't like globalism, but these people seem to love globalism, and they reference it over and over again with Maitreya as sort of this messianic figure. It's very, very interesting. And so I want to read this little description of Maitreya to you. It's um, it's pretty in-depth, and it describes him in a lot of different ways, but I found it very helpful, and it's interesting. I'll post a little gif that I found on the website, um, Ascension Research Center, and I'll also post a link, as I always like to do, but you have a torch on either side of Maitreya's sculpture here, and the torches are lit, and the flames are moving in this gif. Now, this is according to the website. We know what the torch symbolism is, right? This is the Luciferian idea of the torch, very, very prevalent 
in anything that references Lucifer, right? Lucifer is the light. He's the light bearer, according to them, and um, the bringer of knowledge and the bringer of liberation, right? Now, so this Maitreya character, he's also known as the Ascended Master Lord Maitreya, the coming Buddha, formerly a world teacher, um, the Cosmic Christ, which I enjoyed that one. That was That's an interesting title. Planetary Buddha, the Great Initiator, and um, supposedly Maitreya was the initiator of Jesus when Jesus lived his final embodiment as the individualization of the Christ as the world savior, an example of the way, the truth, and the life. So um, they don't say light there. They say life. Now, this is putting Maitreya above Jesus. So Christians would have an absolute problem with this. And I think that it is interesting that they say that Jesus is a learned person of Maitreya, but he's also the problem to their final solution, so to speak. Now, um, we go on here to say Jesus also called Lord Maitreya father, according to their teachings, which I feel is completely not anything that you would hear any Christian say, um, unless they happen to be part of a 501c3, in which case they'll say whatever they gotta. Now, since he was both teacher and guru to Jesus and symbolized God the Father, the mighty I am presence, right? That I am, therefore I am. Um, which we will reference later more with Hilarion. And Maitreya is also referred to as Lord God in the Garden of Eden, teacher of twin flames, okay? Now, the first public dictation, according to this site, is in 1937, October 8th, in New York City. So supposedly, according to some of these people out here, he is already living, and he's been living among us for a long time, and he will show himself when the the uh, the time is right, okay, and uh, you know it's wild. There's this dude. His name's like Cram or Cream, and I forget exactly how you pronounce it. But I'm not even going to get into him because it seems like he's just trying to you know wild out and talk about this stuff to get some recognition. You shouldn't know who this guy is, in my opinion. But maybe we'll touch on him in a further episode or a further date. Um, embodied as according to the Monroe and um, to Monroe and Carolyn Shearer. Maitreya was embodied as one of the historical Krishnas in the written recordings of the ancient oral traditions of India. Divine qualities are kindness and love. Of course, you kill them always with kindness and love, right? That's the way. When when your enemies are trying to kill you, you show them kindness and you show them love. And when your suppressors are suppressing you, you show them kindness and love. Never fight back. That's the end-all be-all to these spiritual religions. Don't fight, just sit there and take it. The divine ray and sacred fire are ruby and pink, which I'm not sure exactly the significance of that, but I figured I'd throw it in. Office and hierarchy. Holding the office of cosmic Christ, beloved Lord Maitreya demonstrates the cosmic consciousness of the Christ to our evolving races of humanity in all areas of life and our earth and the university of the Christ throughout our cosmos. I'm sorry, the universality. Not university. That would be kind of fitting because they wouldn't want to turn it into a business. But the universality of Christ. And one thing that they throw in here that is kind of interesting is he has violet eyes, two, to be clear, and golden hair. Um, I don't know why they put a two next to his eyes. I guess both eyes are are purple. But uh, which is an interesting depiction of somebody, right? Uh, The golden hair, which 
kind of it makes him look like Jesus. And he usually wears a white robe, again, very reminiscent to Jesus. So they they take all of these figures, they make them almost indistinguishable. And this also ties in with Kathumi, who, again, spoke with Alice Bailey, supposedly, and, um, you know, kind of told her that she was going to go on this very important mission and she couldn't kill herself. That was um, that was the first person that she met with. And then she met with the Tibetan in the hills who spoke to her telepathically. So not to be confused. But yeah, very uh, wild stuff there, man. And and this guy is very, very held to a high standard when it comes to this weird one world order religion that the United Nations is promoting through the Lucius Trust. And now one other thing that I found on here that was wild with our symbolism is that Maitreya is said to be a volunteer guardian of Earth from the planet Venus, okay? The morning star planet is Venus. And, you know, the morning star is also Lucifer. And uh, supposedly a large star will be visible from everywhere on Earth day and night. And this will mean that an, an eminent return of Maitreya is upon us. So, you know, it's, um, again, thrown around as much as possible. The the teachings here are very secret. You kind of have to do some digging here. And I've had some help with this episode. Shannon's always helping me look up stuff. So big thanks to him as always. But, um, yeah, he's basically a producer of the show at this point. So, you know, when he starts that damn show up of his, I'm going to make sure that you guys check that out because he, he has some some cool stuff that he can share. I point him in the direction where I'm like, hey, dude, see if you can find anything on this. And he does it every time without fail. But back to Maitreya here. Um, the legend says that in the midst of war and fear and famine, new hope is in the world for us all. Okay, again, in the midst of war, fear and famine, new hope is in the world for us all. It's almost like this is a good thing to them. Fear, war, famine, those sound like negative things, but we have the fear already. There is a lot of fear going around. Fear porn is pushed through media and podcasts, but, um, you know, the war seems to have started. All that we really need is a global famine. And damn it, it seems like that is going on, too. The narrative is at least being pushed. Whether these cows are dying um, in in uh, Texas, as sad, as tragic as that is, as much of a waste as that is, people are getting lost in the validity of the video, right? And I understand because it is like kind of our nature to be like, no, that's bullshit. That's not happening. It doesn't matter if it's happening or not. They're telling you that it's happening. And therefore, it gives them more excuses to raise prices cut supply, and make your life a little more difficult, make it harder for you to find good protein that's cows, pigs. I mean, pigs aren't the best, but you get the idea. Better than bugs, cows, pigs, sheep, chicken, all this stuff. It's going to become harder to find and more of a luxury with these narratives being pushed. So keep that in mind. Don't lose the forest for the trees here, right? See what the what's being pushed. It's fear. It's famine. It's war. These things are being pushed. And they say that these are good things. We'll find new hope in a setting like we see today. It's part of this new world order plan. And it's very clear once you start looking into it. And it's said by the new, the uh, UN that whether you call this entity Christ, the Messiah, the fifth Buddha, which is how we're referring to him here in this episode, Krishna or Imam Mahdi, the uh, he is already here living amongst us and gradually making himself public. 
So which is it? Is this guy dead? Is he the coming one? Is he coming back? Or is he already among us? Is Maitreus supposed to return? Or is he already here? Or is it intentional doublespeak? It's up to you. Or even worse, and likely the most true scenario in my opinion, is that the messaging is meant to confuse people and to get us all to hope for the rise in what we would refer to otherwise as this antichrist figure. Because, you know, whether he's here or not, it doesn't matter. They're calling on him to show himself. Now, I'm going with that just because we learned in regard to these elite groups that they say one thing and then they mean many, many other hidden messages within that. More accurate the more you look into it. So by saying that Maitreya will return, the coming one will return, maybe to people that are in the know, he's already here. According to them, I don't I don't believe that anything with any significant power over humanity is living here on Earth. Right. I think that this is blatant doublespeak. And I also think that it's it's deliberately confusing here for us, getting us to try and worship these wrong entities and put our faith into other people. People are guilty of doing it on behalf of Donald Trump, thinking that Donald Trump is going to save us or thinking that. um, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but the Second Amendment. Uh, abortion, anything that you think is going to save you in like eternity is just bullshit. I think that people have to find their own way and people have to not, not find their own way in a spiritual sense, but they have to find their own way with the information that is out here today. It's very easy to find if you do some serious work. And that's what I try to help do and try and help you come to these conclusions yourself make you, you know, kind of gain some extra perspective on some of these things that recently I I had not known about, you know what I mean? Starting off with the show, I was more focused on, you know, real world things, very, very physical things, things that you can touch and see and feel, but there's other aspects to our reality that I don't think will ever be known, but hopefully we can get on the right path here. I think that that's very important. So anyway, Getting off on tangents here. Let's get back to this. Matre is supposed to be joined by the spirits that have been guiding the world's teachers, leaders, and the, quote, ones who have worked behind the scenes to have led us down this path that we're on today. (laughs) So according to the UN, there are spirits guiding the global elite to guide society into the direction that they want, into the direction of the new world order. That's mind-blowing to actually, like, have found that. And I'm not going to say that the lizard person theory is proven right here. But I will say that the United Nations, of all places, says that it is. And maybe it's not, you know, these Draco reptilians that we think that they might be. But there's some sort of consciousness from another realm that is guiding our world leaders in their own words. And they're supposed to join Maitreya when he comes back, they're supposed to join the coming one when he returns. Isn't that fucking insane that they think like this? And maybe they don't think like, maybe they know, but it is just crazy to think. And believers in this theory go on to say that every man, woman, and child should have enough food and water, health care, housing, and education for, you know, just basic survival. And this sounds great. It sounds like a good thing, but we know that the food that they're talking about is GMO bug protein shit, the water's carcinogenic, 
the healthcare is mandatory vaccines, and the housing is a hovel or a prison cell, and the education is more like indoctrination. They word these things in nice ways, right? This is why I always say, you know, the devil is not going to come to you saying that you're cursed for the rest of your life. The devil's going to come to you in the form of spirituality, finding enlightenment through these things that are historically evil, right? It's going to come to you in the nicest ways. A beautiful woman. Um, kindness oftentimes is disguised. Like that thing that I mentioned earlier, kindness and love being Maitreya's key attributes. Those are an, an understanding. I, I get we should always be kind. We should be nice to people. But if they show us that they are here to hurt us, when do we flip that switch? When do we go? The whole uh, warrior in the garden thing. When do you go from the warrior in the garden to the warrior on the battlefield? I think that that is very, very tough. And they're blurring that line right now intentionally. It's a lot of confusion that is thrown out there to make it so that you just want to be as understanding as possible. It's a big mess, man. I think that this is why it's a responsibility for people like us to try and at least convince others to say, hey, let's stand up for what is actually right. Let's stand up. You know, our ancestors built this country. Our ancestors did a lot to try and leave lives better for us. They knew back then in, you know, the foundation of this country's time and World War One, World War Two, they knew that it was impossible to have a perfect world of just peace and love. But they're selling you this false bill of goods here that is just not it's not attainable. And I'm sorry, it, it's it's harsh. It, the world is a tough place. And I understand that. But they're doing a very good job by by acting like this is something that can be reached. And enough of you do yoga and practice spirituality. We can get there. That's the whole problem. Get fucking real. Wake the fuck up and realize what's going on. You're being sold a bad bill of goods. But I think that you guys know that, you know, it's just I hope that, you know, people will 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 see this and try to do more critical thinking and not fall into the group think. I understand that if everyone thinks independently from the primary source, which is mainstream media, they will get kind of funneled into the group of alternative thinking. At that point, that's corrupted. It's a tough, it's a big responsibility, but it's a responsibility that you all have. And I think that it's important. Um, let's tie in a little Project Bluebeam here, okay? This is a, this is a nice little thing. Um, Project Bluebeam and, and Matreya is, um, is something that, I, that really caught my attention. It says, the Bluebeam Project will pretend to be the universal fulfillment of the prophecies of old as major an event as that which occurred 2,000 years ago. Then the projections of Jesus, Muhammad, Buddha, Krishna, etc. will merge into one after correct explanations of the mysteries and revelations will have been disclosed. This one God will in fact be the Antichrist who will explain that the various scriptures have been misunderstood and misinterpreted and that the religions of old are responsible for turning brother against brother and nation against nation. Therefore, old religions must be abolished to make way for the new age, new world religion, representing the one God, Antichrist, 
as they see before them. Now notice that Maitreya is not mentioned in that blue beam description there. And I find that interesting. Now again, I don't know necessarily that Maitreya is the Antichrist, but it sure fucking seems like it. And the coincidences continue with the five and, you know, the pentagram and all of this very interesting stuff continues with the fifth ray, which was some very, very mind-blowing shit to look into because it just seems to tie in so very, very well with these other fives repeating themselves in my research here. This information is coming from... Guys, what a fun episode to research. I hope that you're enjoying it so far. If you hop over to patreon.com slash dangerousworldpodcast, I'm going to be getting into the fifth ray, more Buddha-focused knowledge that I think ties very well into the Native American and the Mesoamerican five sons mythology. So we'll check this out. I hope to see you there. And thanks so much for your support, guys. Tell friends about the show. See you over there.